Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 260 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, December 13th, 2020. Christmas is in less than two weeks, Donald, so I hope you are getting excited for that. We are getting excited here for the start of ACC basketball season, as it were, even though perhaps we shouldn't be playing ACC basketball at this time, but, but the ACC is playing basketball, so we will talk about it. The, the greater picture be damned, although I'm sure we'll touch on that plenty. I will start today by introducing us before we get into all of that. I am Sam Klein. I am your host for this episode. I am joined, as always, by Donald Wine, who is coming to us from Washington, D.C. Donald, good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm really tired. Let me quickly explain. I, I went to bed last night about 1.30. I watched the Shakur Stevenson fight. Great, great fight. The whole card of top rank. Great. If you watch boxing. And I woke up at four and I couldn't go back to sleep. And so I'm just kind of lying in bed trying to get back to sleep for about three hours. And about three hours after I woke up, Sam started texting about this episode and was like, we were asking questions all of a sudden, I go, I guess I'm up. But I will say this, we were talking about this before, Sam. Uh, I also was like, okay, I think I can get maybe an hour of sleep and wake back up in time for this episode. And then the county of Arlington, which is just across the river here from D.C., decided to implode the Holiday Inn at 8 a.m. When I tell you it shook my apartment building, it shook my apartment. My apartment building is not small. As Sam and you're knows. not, and you're not that close to Arlington. No, like, you're it, like you're as the crow flies. You're like what three or four miles from there. It's I'd say probably two miles, but two it's, miles. But there's also a river <laughs> separating that this sound has to reverberate through. It sounded like aliens had imp- had blown up the city of Arlington. That's like that's how loud it was. Dude, that's you should be you should be glad you were awake because it would have terrified you if you'd been asleep. Well, no, here's the thing. We've had a couple of, you know, we had the big, we called it the big earthquake. I know people on the West Coast laugh uh, back in 2011, but we had some minor earthquakes before that. Those never, those never phased me. I slept through those. And if something that loud, that wouldn't have woken me up if I wasn't already awake. But the fact I was already awake, I was like, what the hell was that? And it took like two minutes to Twitter to find out, but still Arlington, you need to, first of all, let people know this. And, And second of all, don't implode buildings that are 15 stories tall at 8 a.m. on a Sunday. I wouldn't mind if buildings are imploded at 8 a.m. on a Sunday because I happen to be an early riser, which was the discussion that the three of us were having just before we started recording. So I wanted to finish that conversation by asking <laughs> I did Jason go off Evans, on a tangent. Yeah. by asking Jason Evans at 9 a.m. on a Sunday how he's doing today. I'm still in my pajamas. Uh, unlike you guys, you, you guys woke up early. No, 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 no. I like to sleep late on weekends. And, and in fact, so I was, I was starting to go to sleep last night and I realized I was like, oh, you know what? I need to do a little bit of research into Notre Dame because we're going to be talking about Notre Dame later on this podcast. Next thing I know, it's like 2.30 and I'm at my computer typing notes. I, I was up very, very late last night. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was hoping to still be asleep right now. Since the pandemic started, I don't think I've gone to bed later than like 12 or 12.30. I am a, an early riser by nature, and I have tried in vain to sleep late on the weekends whenever. I, I, had, I don't think I've slept past 8 a.m. local time in years. This like, is something, I mean, like, Jason, there's a difference between can and wish. I wish I could sleep late. 
Sometimes I can't. And this morning was, I, I, I mean, am physically, sometimes it, yeah, it's 4 a.m. Like I, don't, I didn't get it before a.m. for my own benefit. I am physically incapable of sleeping late. Yeah. Okay. So if it's 4 a.m. and I'm up, it's not because I woke up. It's because I'm still up. Right. I slept, I slept till 11 yesterday. <laughs> I, 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 wish I, had, I wish I had and, that. And, and, and I stay up as late as you most nights. I stay up later than most of you, like most nights. I'm usually up until one. I also two. need very little sleep. I, I'm a guy, I function on five hours sleep, four or five yeah. hours sleep all the time. It's on the flip side, me. on the flip side, when we record, like occasionally we record after the games, uh, you know, if it, if it happens to be a particularly interesting game, we'll be like, oh, we have to get on and record. By the end of those recordings, especially if it's one of those Duke 930 tips, by the end of them, I am so tired. Yeah. Like, I'll listen back to the episode the next day and be like, I don't know what I was talking about. If we're recording like at 11 p.m. or after midnight or something, no shot. So That's just so you are know. wired. Wait, I want to say something. So we've been doing this podcast for six years now. I can't believe we're just now learning this. Don't you guys notice I'm always like saying, hey, let's get on at 11 or let's get up midnight and do a podcast. And you guys and are like, I'm always what are you saying, talking let's about? Get on at <laughs> and even, even when I lived in Colorado, which is two time zones back from where you guys live, I was saying, sure, Sunday, 9 a.m., Let's do, which is 7 a.m. where I was living. And I was like, that's fine. I'll have probably been up for an hour or so. And I and let I have, you pick And that. I have plenty of time to prepare before a 9 a.m. show. Like I, right. when, when, I said, when I said, oh, let's record this morning at 9 a.m., I was thinking, that's perfect. I'll have an hour to, after I have breakfast to do my research for this show, and I'll be plenty prepared. And, and I set I, my alarm for 8.45 <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. So let's, now that we've wasted all that time that could have been spent talking about basketball, let's talk about basketball. The last time we spoke was briefly, I think we only did about 20 minutes about the fact that Duke was canceling the rest of its non-conference schedule, which was a whopping one, maybe two games, depending on how strongly you felt Duke was committed to rescheduling some of the canceled games. But we have a couple of days have passed. We've seen some more reactions. We've seen some reactions to reactions. We've read a little bit of news. So I wanted to spend the first few minutes of this podcast before we look ahead to the game against Notre Dame this week, which kicks off ACC season. I want to talk a little bit more about Duke's decision. And I want to start with an article that I read in The Athletic by Brendan Marks, who's one of the uh, folks at The Athletic who covers Duke basketball, who wrote about the Blue Devils' decision to cancel the rest of the non-conference season and talk to, obviously heard from Coach K as we did, but also got a chance to catch up with Matthew Hurt's father and a few other people around the program. Donald, I want to ask you first, because I I know you also read this and and were thinking about it. What was kind of your big takeaway from all that, all the sort of rest of the news that that came out after Duke announced that it was stopping non-conference play? That Coach K has been thinking about this the whole time. I mean, people like. The, the haters and a lot of the media will lead you to believe that Coach K only started thinking about, quote unquote, canceling the season because we lost to Illinois. And that by this article, that's clearly not the case. He, we know he's been thinking about this the whole time, but this plan to keep this break intact was formulated back before the season started, right? When they learned that the opener against Gardner-Webb was going to be postponed. And if you guys remember when we released, when the schedule was released, this break that is up now between Notre Dame and Pitt, this two-week break or so, was in the schedule already. The only thing that has been altered is that the Gardner-Webb game that was supposed to be the season opener, they originally attempted to reschedule it for this coming Saturday. And then they decided to postpone that game. So really, when we're talking about here, 
Coach K did not cancel anything. He canceled one game that he was already rescheduled and they should have already played. And they just decided not to reschedule the other two. But I will say this about, you know, all of this, right? One, the players and the families have been kept in the loop. And the fact that the, you could tell just from reading the article, how much it, you know, Matt Hurt's dad appreciated the fact that he can drive to Notre Dame to see his son play in a season where they can't come to Duke and watch them play like normal. So he's going to get to see his son play. And then he gets to take him home for a few days for the holidays. They all know when they got to be back. They all know they got to be careful. And I think the players and their families have bought into this as well. And this only art, this article really will only endear people to what coach K is doing, especially most importantly recruits and their families, because recruits can say, Hey, when I send them off to Duke, these coaches and and coach K especially have my son's best interest in mind and they're going to take great care of them. Just like these guys have been doing all semester long. So I really enjoyed this. I think it was great that Brendan Marks was able to get this side of the story because I think a lot of people are focusing on the wrong thing. They're focusing on the loss and they're reacting to the fact that we lost to Illinois when they should be reacting to the fact that coach K is putting the mental health of his players above everything. Jason, it seems like Coach K is trying to juggle everything here, which I think is is just like everyone else during this time. How do you feel about the the way that he's kind of handled this whole thing, not just on Tuesday night after the game, but in the in the days following that? Co- Coach K is a believer in family. Um, uh, Duke has the brotherhood and and considers the brotherhood to be a really really important part of Duke's image. But I don't think it is just an image thing. I think, I think it is something that Coach K genuinely feels is important for his program to, to make all these players feel like they are part of something larger than themselves. But that's all connected to family and connected to Coach K's deep, unabiding respect for and love for family. We hear all the time when Coach K is recruiting kids that he's recruiting the mom and dad as much as he's recruiting the kid. So I think that Coach K recognize we we heard i was on the press conference with him the other day when he was talking about coronavirus and the the pain in his voice when he talked about these kids not getting to go home for christmas like like i said the other day he walked out of that press conference and i guarantee you he said i got to make this happen i've got to find a way to get these kids home for christmas they need to spend time with their family they got to do it smart we have to be very careful about it but we need to make it happen for them because Guys, we haven't talked about it that much. These, th- these players aren't even part of the Duke community at this point. They're not allowed out into the general student population. They, they interact with each other, and I guess with the staff at the Washington Duke, and that's it. And, and I think Coach K said, I can't continue to do that to them. And he may have identified, it's possible that he realized that, that this you know, sort of crazy bubble that they're in was affecting their play that these guys maybe weren't playing the way he expected them to because, because they were confined in a way. So I, I, think, I think this is about refreshing his team by sending them away for a little bit. Look, sometimes you, you don't know where you're going until you know where you've been and you know what you're doing it for. And the fact is, like I mentioned before, and, and kind of you've talked about it, Jason, they don't have any time with their families usually during the season their families are coming to Durham every four days for a game so they're able to see them it may not be for you know 
longer than a night or a weekend, but they're able to see them regularly during the season. Also, they get to interact with other students during the school year. So they have people outside of, you know, the Duke program that they're able to become friends with and, and linger with. This year has not been the case. They are literally by themselves and they've seen, and even when they showed up in August, which was later than every other program, they were only able to be in pods of four. So they couldn't even interact with their entire team until like late September. So this is something where getting these guys home to see their families is going to be like, wow, I miss these people. Now I know like I'm fighting for them. I, I, I got my juice back. I got my swagger. Let's go back and play some basketball. And we've talked about how during the NBA bubble, the thing that the NBA players disliked the most about it is that they were separated from everyone for so long. And, and it's not just the players, it's the coaching staff. It's, it's everyone who was involved there couldn't see their families for a few months until they started like towards the end of it, letting a few very close relatives come. But it still doesn't feel like being in your community the way you might normally be. And of course, this is not something that is unique to athletes during this time. Everyone is sort of limited into where they can go and, and who they can see, but it really takes a toll on, on these players and, and it affects them kind of in different ways. So I see where coach K is coming from as far as trying to, you know, protect their mental health a little bit because they have spent, as you said, Donald, they've spent that much time away from their families. And, and I don't know exactly what the protocol will be to have them be going home and then coming right back. It does seem like a little bit of a tight timeline, but hopefully there's a lot of testing in place and that they're going to manage that. Duke has a program, a protocol in place for exactly that, not just for athletes, but for students as well when they return. They, they'll have to do a lot of testing and make sure that everyone's negative before they begin uh, practicing again. And, and, even, and even Duke students who are not on the basketball team are being subjected to the, to the testing kind of all the time. So they're, they're constantly being monitored to make sure that the community is safe individually and, and as a whole, because there are, as you said, there are a lot of people who are there who have come from lots of places. The Duke students have all now left campus and are still planning to return for the spring semester. But of course things can, can change any day. We'll, we'll see how that develops. Jason, I, I did want to come back and ask you because we talked, unfortunately, about Nate Oates and his comments about Coach K the other night when we were reacting to all of this news. He since has come out and issued something of an apology to Coach K and said that he talked to him and brought up the mental health of the players as one of the reasons that he was so committed to keeping the basketball season going. So what did you think of his apology and subsequent comments? Nate Oates walked out of his press conference the other day and said that he immediately called Coach K to apologize for his comments where Nate Oates implied that Coach K was only concerned about coronavirus, concerned about the season because Duke was struggling a little bit because they'd lost a couple games. He was like, do you think Coach K would be talking about delaying the season if Duke hadn't lost two games? Uh, and and I, think, I think it's good that Nate Oates immediately recognized that he's a buffoon and that he spoke out of turn. Uh, I, I, I thought one of the interesting things about all this is there have been a number of college basketball coaches who have spoken up on it, and they have unanimously spoken up in defense of Coach K. And one of the most prominent ones was uh, the head coach of the Syracuse Orangemen, Jim Beheim, who, who is a friend of, of Mike Krzyzewski. We all know that. But at his press conference over the weekend after Syracuse defeated Boston College, by the way, Syracuse beat the pants off of Boston College. When, when we get to, it won't be this episode, but in a couple episodes, 
when we are previewing the uh, ACC in a big way, one of the surprise teams thus far, I think, is the Syracuse Orange. They, they beat Boston College by almost 40 points. <laughs> uh, so Beheim comes out in that press conference, and he said, he said he compared Nate Oates to a blogger. He said Nate Oates is just sad that he, that he thinks this. But the important thing that Beheim pointed out was he said uh, anyone who knows anything about college basketball knows that Mike Krzyzewski has been talking about delaying the season, about being careful about COVID since the very beginning, since we all started with these conversations. He said, I, he said look, I, I want to be clear. Beheim said, I don't agree with Coach K. I don't think we should wait you know, for a vaccine or, or something like that. He's, uh, you know, Beheim said he's fine with players playing now and with players going home for Christmas break and then coming back and stuff like that. Um, but Beheim said to imply that this is some new stance from coach K is absurd. It's wrong. It doesn't jive with any of the facts. And like I said, he just, he took Nate Oates to the woodshed, you know, for a member of his profession, for a fellow head coach, he was like, he's basically like, you're an idiot. You're no better than a blogger. You're no smarter than a blogger, which is pretty powerful stuff. Look, Young Jeezy, and I know Jay Billis out there, if, if, he, if he's listening, uh, knows this line. Jeezy once said, uh, I see opportunity. I'm an opportunist. You heard what I said? I'm an opportunist. You know what Nato's is? He's an opportunist. He saw the mob, and he decided to get his shots in. And, he, and everyone, everyone who was thinking that Nate, Nato's was dunking on Coach K are the same people that back in March, when we withdrew from the NCAA tournament, they basically blamed us for canceling the NCAA tournament. And then a week later, they're like, oh, wait, maybe they were very, very right. Like, this is the sort of thing that the mob mentality does, especially surrounding Coach K and the Duke program, especially these haters out there. But really, when they look down deep into their soul, their teams aren't playing either. But their teams aren't playing for the wrong reason. We've said that before. They don't get to have this opportunity to have a, a Christmas break because they're on a pause. And so if you're like – I feel like everyone who's who's if, like show your hands out there. If if you raise your hand, that means your program has had to pause their their thing, their 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 whole program because of COVID, and you need to sit down. Nate Oates, all the chairs available around you, socially distanced, of course, use them. Sit down, back up, shut up. Can we agree that we don't have to talk about Nate Oates again? Never again. One gets hired by an ACC program or two has to play Duke in the NCAA tournament. Well, None. can can I just point out that they got their, Alabama got their butts kicked by Clemson over the weekend? So, hey, I, I, I wasn't going to say nothing. Well, I hey. told you, told <laughs> you don't get caught slipping. Speaking of previewing the ACC, Jason, is Clemson any good? Uh, oh, hey, uh, when we get around to it, I think Clemson, Clemson's uh, I, in the preseason. By the way, guys, I was talking about Georgia Tech potentially as the team that was going womp, to rise womp. up from the middle. Uh, I think Clemson is the team that has risen up from the middle to to challenge for the top tier. With that, we are going to do a preview of the preview of ACC season. We're just going to talk about one ACC team. That's the team that Duke kicks off their conference schedule against this week. It's the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. The Irish are 2-2 two and two so far this season, and most recently they're coming off a win against Kentucky, their first win in Rupp Arena in, in the history of the program, and these two programs have played a lot. They're certainly close neighbors, and it's also... Notre Dame went out to a blistering first half lead and had the largest lead ever for an opposing team in Rupp uh, going into halftime. So an impressive performance by Notre Dame, even though they almost squandered it late 
uh, but managed to to pull off the win against the Wildcats. As I said, they're they're two and two, and they have some tough losses against Michigan State and Ohio State this season. But Notre Dame seems like they have a few really strong pieces. And Jason, I'll give it to you first. I know that Notre Dame employs a short rotation. Perhaps that is a remnant of the Mike Bray. Coach K coaching tree and, and wanting to be like his mentor normally is, although is not this season. What have you seen from Notre Dame this season and what do you expect to see from them this week against the Blue Devils? So let me start with the teams they've played just very quickly. Um, like you said, that win over Kentucky is very impressive. Uh, they had a loss to Michigan State by 10 points, but that's a little bit deceptive. They trailed by 20 plus points, almost 30 points throughout virtually the entire second half. They made it respectable in the final couple minutes. But, but they got their butts kicked by Michigan State. They also lost by five to Ohio State. And that's a little bit deceptive because Notre Dame actually led throughout much of that, the second half of that game. It was a very close, very competitive game. Ohio State's a really good team. So based on those scores, you, you, you have to think that this Notre Dame team is pretty good. Um, they are a super efficient offensive team. They're a great three-point shooting team. This Notre Dame team hits 41.6% of their three-pointers. That's 19th best in the country. They are not a great defensive team, though. Uh, they're, they're really good at not fouling. So in terms of, like, I guess efficiencies, as you'd say, making three-pointers, really good on offense, not fouling, an important part of being an efficient defense. This is a team that does, you know, they, they essentially do the things to not make it easy on you. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They don't make, make a lot of turnovers. On the other hand, they don't force a lot of turnovers and they play slowly. They're, they're, they're one of the slower teams in the country in terms of tempo, um, which, which could be something that works well for Duke because Duke is a team that has absolutely struggled, struggled mightily with, uh, with turnovers this season. So it's going to be really interesting to see who can, you know, who can put their style on the game. Duke wants to go faster than Notre Dame does. Uh, Duke doesn't, maybe doesn't mind committing turnovers as much because Duke's trying to get more volume of shots and the such. Notre Dame is all about not making mistakes. Uh, so it's, like I say, very interesting to see the different styles. Let's talk about the players just very quickly. Like you said, Sam, not a deep team. They've got four juniors, Prentice Hub, Nate Lashevsky, Dane Goodman, and Cormac Ryan, who all play like 36 plus minutes per game. It's almost unheard of. These, these four guys basically don't come out of the game at all. Um, and they their fifth starter is a senior, Juwan Durham. He, he's their big man. So this is a team, doesn't play a lot of guys, and it's starting four juniors and a senior. I mean, in some ways, it is the opposite of Duke because it is a super experienced team that does not use its bench very much, does not use young players very much. Um, Duke, of course, the exact opposite of that. And, and all these juniors, it's sort of an interesting story. The, the, four, the four juniors are guys who've been there for a while. Uh, Cormac Ryan, um, Ryan was a transfer from Stanford, but you know, this is obviously his second year with the program because he transferred. But these guys are all juniors who were not you know, big flashy players as freshmen. And they've all built up their game over time. And all four of them are averaging double figures now as, as juniors. So, you know, it's a really interesting way of constructing a team and putting a team together. And, and like I say, it's very much the opposite of, of who Duke is. There are two of these players that I really want to highlight more than the others. Nate Lashevsky um, uh, is 6'10", power forward. Basically, think of him as Matthew Hurt. He's a big man who can score inside and out. He is hitting, get this, 57% of his three-pointers. You cannot leave Lashevsky open on the perimeter. 57% of his threes. He doesn't take a ton of them, but when he shoots, 
it's going in. And he averages close to 10 rebounds per game. And then the other guy, the guy who makes it all go for them, is their point guard, Prentice Hub. This guy averages more than 20 points per game. He's their leading scorer. He's their leading assist man. I think you're going to see Jay Gold. Jordan Goldwire will be on him the entire game. As Every second Jordan Goldwire is in the game, he is going to be guarding Prentice Hub because we need an experienced player to keep Prentice Hub from getting that Notre Dame offense going. Uh, to me, the key to the game is going to be, like I said, which team can impose their style. And by that, I mean can Duke score enough that, that Notre Dame just can't stay because Notre Dame's going to try and be efficient. That doesn't mean they score a lot. I mean, even this game against Kentucky where they had a huge first half built a 24 point lead in the first half, Notre Dame only scored 11 points in the final 16 minutes of that game. This is a Notre Dame team that is capable of going cold and not scoring a lot. And because the game's being played slowly, they can just be get stagnant for long periods of time. Duke needs to take advantage of that kind of thing and see if we can impose our pace on the game. Um, and if we can, I think you'll see the Blue Devils coming out with a victory. From a talent standpoint, from an athleticism standpoint, from a sort of you know basketball potential standpoint, there's no comparison between these teams. But it's an experienced team, Notre Dame, that has made itself better over the years, and that's what Duke will be facing. By the way, if you look at the last game that these two programs played against each other, which was a few months ago in the spring, Duke beat the pants off of Notre Dame. It was a 34-point victory in Cameron Indoor. Jordan Goldwire, to your point, Jason, played 31 minutes in that game. And obviously it was a point in the season where, where he was really rolling and, and was, was playing well. Prentice Hub only scored six points in that game. Obviously, Notre Dame had a few other guys that were, that were important. Um, Durham, who's still there, and, uh, and Mooney, who's graduated now, and we don't have to worry about him anymore. But Prentice Hub was held to just six points uh, and, and five assists in that game over the course of 33 minutes. So I think that you're right on, on on that assessment as far as how Duke is going to stop them. Donald, any thoughts from you on this first ACC matchup for Duke against Notre Dame? Yeah, when the schedule came out, we highlighted the fact that this was going to be our first road game and that we've notoriously not played well in South Bend. I believe we're two and two in South Bend since they joined the ACC back in 2013 or 2014. But really, in the last few years, we've done really well. We've won six in a row. The first six games that we played against them, we were one and five. But I think when it comes to this, the great thing about this new calendar, which was the old calendar, is that we have a two-week break after this. The guys can go up to South Bend. They can leave it all in South Bend. And then they get to get four, you know, four or five days to recharge their batteries. There's no need to worry about the, you know, the next game. They can just play this game for what it is. One game, get out in the ACC on the right track, on the road, and, and not only leave South Bend with the win, but also a lot of people always talk about how we never play people on the road because we're scared of playing guys on the road. Let's show them that, hey, maybe other teams are scared to bring us to their house. And it's a different story this year, of course. Normally, Duke spends a lot of time at home in front of a very favorable crowd and then goes on the road for a very unfavorable crowd. This year, obviously, they've spent a lot of time living in one hotel, and they're going to be spending a night in a different hotel before this game. But the difference in, in the crowd and the atmosphere is not going to be as pronounced as it normally is. So hopefully, there isn't as much of a wild swing. And honestly, we hope that Duke isn't much worse on the road than they are at home this year because they're only 2-2 two and two so far. So... We, we hope that that, that that doesn't continue. So that'll do it for our quick preview of Notre Dame. Of course, we will be back after that game to talk about how it goes down, however it goes down. We'll take a quick break now, and when we come back, 
we'll wrap up the football season and we'll talk about a few other notes from around college hoops. Stick around. Welcome back. I do not want to belabor the next topic because I think we are all sick of it for this year and maybe we will be excited about it again next year. But Duke wrapped up the football season this weekend. They played Florida State in a game of two teams that really could not wait to just stop playing football. It was something of an ugly affair. Lots of points were scored. I don't know that anyone wanted to be there. FSU ended up winning actually pretty handily going away, although Duke made it competitive there in the middle of the game. The season ends with the Blue Devils having given up an average of 54 points over their last four contests and almost four turnovers per game. This one was just like the last ones. They gave up four uh, turnovers in this game and let the whole thing get away from them. Man, does anyone want the season to end more quickly than, than Duke does, Donald? Look, I will say this. The, the number that you guys need to remember about this season is 35. That's the number of turnovers that Duke had all season. They led the nation in turnovers, most turnovers by anyone. And second place wasn't close. It's not like anyone was nipping at our heels trying to throw some interceptions to get this, get this victory from us. It, we, we won something, and it's not what we wanted. I, I will say this with apologies to, to you two as you guys celebrate Hanukkah. Uh, this team needs to have what's called a come-to-Jesus moment. Uh, in the off season, they need to re- they need to figure out what the plan is going to be because this can't be it. This we we can't start. I mean, with with the coach cut era starting the way it did and and growing and and making it so that we can be disappointed about a season again is terrific. Do not get me wrong. I I, I watched a lot of terrible football every snap when I was in college because I had to video it sort of, you know, and Sam has, has watched some terrible football as well, up close and personal. I will say this, we cannot go back to that era again. I do not want to go back to the old days. So they need to figure out what the plan is going to be. If it, if it means Coach Cut has to consider retirement, I'm not saying get fired, but I'm saying if he has to consider retirement or consider a change of some sort within his staff, then we need to do it because we are going to fall behind the eight ball real quick if we don't do anything. You know, the maddening thing to me about this Duke team was they, they at times, looked like a, a, you know, a legit pretty good football team. I mean, it seems like a century ago, but Notre Dame is going to be in the college football playoff, and we played them really competitively. We were, we were absolutely in the game with Notre Dame uh, until the very end of the, of the contest at the beginning of the year. I, I, don't, I don't know how the team that played that game is the same team that, that gave up 28 points in the first quarter to Florida state. Who's terrible. Florida state is abysmally bad and we got our butts kicked by them. And, and and along the same line, we give up 28 points to Florida state. And then we immediately turn around and score 21 points in a row. Like we couldn't stop them. And then they couldn't do anything. We couldn't do anything. And then they couldn't stop us. Jekyll and Hyde. That's what this team was. and, And it's, it's very, it's frustrating. It's hard to figure out. Uh, I mean, I don't want to be mean to one guy, but Chase Bryce just had, he had a really bad season. I mean, for a kid coming over from Clemson who was highly touted, there was talk that Chase Bryce would only be at Duke for one year because he would turn pro. Come on, no way. 
I, I mean, Chase Bryce is fighting for his job at this point. I, I don't think there's any Duke fan. There's no one who watches Duke football who thinks that Chase Bryce, you know, has a lock on the job. I, I hope there's a robust competition for it next year because Chase Bryce was not accurate. Dude threw 15 interceptions on the season. That's, that's a lot of interceptions and, and had a lot of fumbles too. So I, I, I just, I, I feel like the program, like Donald said, the program needs to reassess what is going on here and, and figure some things out because this season, the number of mistakes we made, this is not the way a Duke team should go down. It's just not. And look, there is only so much you can say about the Blue Devils being hampered by coronavirus and, and all that. And I thought, I, I talked early in the season about how much they needed those bye weeks and look at what kind of good it did them. They did have the win uh, against Charlotte in the second half of the season, but otherwise it seemed like they got worse as the season went on. I think highlighted by the game against Miami last week, but but Florida State was a similar performance to that than any of the good performances we saw early in the season from Duke. Donald, give me a final note on the Blue Devils football season before we, before we lay it to rest. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it was a, it was a very bad season, but I will say there was, you know, four guys that I want to highlight that I thought had really good seasons uh, on the offensive end, uh, two running backs, uh, Mateo Durant and Deion Jackson, I think had terrific seasons. We saw some games where they were the stars of the team and really carrying the team on their back not necessarily to wins, but at least helping towards that cause. And I think they did great. And on defense, our defensive ends, Chris Rumpf and Victor Dimikaji. Dimikaji, to my uh, to my count, and, and someone in the in the forums or whoever later can check me if I'm wrong. I believe he ended a half sack short of the career record at Duke. Uh, he finished with seven and a half sacks this year. He needed eight to set that or to tie that record. Uh, Chris Rump, I believe, had eight and a half sacks this year. So uh, both of them did extremely well. Uh, I, those are guys that I hope we'll see on Sundays because I think they have a future beyond uh, the campus at Durham. So those guys, for, for the two DNs and the two running backs, hats off on a really, really good season. And we will... Uh take note of Duke football news as it unfolds. As we've, as we've all said, we expect some changes coming. We don't know what they're going to be. The program hasn't really given any hints about coaching staff changes, scheme changes. We know coach cut took over the play calling duties this year and, and maybe he'll change his mind about that. But of course we'll talk about it whenever we know more. We will wrap up this episode with some parting shots and some player of the week. We will start with the player of the week. So Donald Wine, we only had one game this week, uh, and it was the game against Illinois, which didn't go so great. So you got a player of the week for me from the Notre Dame or from the Illinois game? The game seems like it was three weeks ago. Like there's so much that has happened since then. So I'm going to go with the guy that I think was steady uh, in that performance. I, I don't think he had a, you know, I don't think he had the best performance for him, but I think it was great. I'm going with Matthew Hurt. Jason, who you got? I'm taking Jeremy Roach. There was an interesting stat I was looking at from that game. The player on the Duke basketball team who had the most shots at the rim, got to the rim the most of anybody on the team was Jeremy Roach. He took six, six shots at the rim. Say six shots six times in a row. That's a little, 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 little. <laughs> Jeremy Roach. We're leaving that in, aren't we? We're going to leave that in. Yeah, I'm not doing yeah. that. Shick shots, shick shots, shick shots. Uh, Jeremy Roach took 
six shots at the rim in this game. Um, and uh, it was a little bit of a coming out party for him. We talked about it when we were talking about the Illinois game, but, but I think Roach's ability to get to the hole to create for himself and for others will be an essential part of Duke's success moving forward. He is my player of the week. I was also going to give it to Matthew Hart, just like Donald did. And for all of the same reasons. So I don't need to belabor it. Uh, he had a, he had a, a pretty nice performance for Duke on Wednesday, and hopefully he's rounding into form as one of the top players in the ACC as we expect him to be. Guys, I want to finish with some parting shots because we all came with a little something this week. So Jason, I'll let you go first. Give us your stats-based parting shot. Yeah, folks know me. They know I love my statistics. And I was pouring through Duke box scores at 2 a.m. last night, <laughs> looking at different things and trying to figure different stuff out. And something jumped out at me. Um, it's a stat called box plus minus. Um, it is an advanced stat. It looks at sort of, you know, using basics, you know, the basic statistics that are out there. It, it, it looks at those to figure out whether you're helping or hurting the team compared to an average player. That's the key thing in, in this. It's that it's not about, you know, it's not about counting. It's not about how much um, you do over the course of a game. It's how much you do for every minute that you're in the game. So forget about, you know, number of minutes you play. Um, an average player gets a zero and anything above a zero means you're helping the team when you're in the game and anything below means you're hurting the team. C can you guys guess? Let me, let me put it to you all. Can you guess who Duke's box plus minus leader is this year so far? Who's the guy who helps Duke the most when he's in the game? Jamin Brakefield. Good call, Donald. You are correct. Jamin Brakefield is the leader for Duke on box plus minus. Uh, who do you think is second? I was going to guess DJ Stewart. No, DJ Stewart's box plus minus actually isn't that great. Uh, oh, the guy well, who's second that shows yeah, you what I know. Yeah, they, the guy who's second is Mark Williams, and then Matthew Hurt. Williams and Hurt are basically the same in box plus minus. Um, and and actually, the guy who's fourth, and I think this is very interesting, is Henry Coleman, um, who, as you recall, hasn't played a lot, but when he played, like he got a couple steals. He you know he he sort of played nicely in his very limited minutes, so you can understand how he'd do really well in this stat. I don't think this is going to be very difficult, but guys, who do you think is worst? Who's the lowest on the team in box plus minus? Oh, is it poor Wendell Moore? Yeah, and, and he has – his box plus minus is a negative 9.5. That, that is a wretched – that is a terrible box plus minus. Um, Joey Baker is the other guy. Joey Baker is a negative 7.3. That's a really, really low box plus minus. I don't think there's anyone else on the team – who has a negative box plus minus. Essentially, that means you're playing way worse than an average player. Um, virtually everyone on the Duke team is, is pretty close to zero in this stat. Um, and these two guys are way, way, way below zero. And, and, and I point this out not to attack them or criticize them or anything, but to, to note these are two of the most experienced players on this Duke basketball team, two guys that we really expected to be team leaders both in terms of how they comport themselves on the court, but also in terms of what they contribute to the team, to the team's success. And the two of them are struggling incredibly so far this season. Uh, one other kind of fun thing. Who do you think was the box plus minus leader on last year's Duke team? I would guess Trey Jones because he seemed like the sort of heart and soul of the team, but I, I feel like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, Formerly guessed Trey Jones, but I'm going to secondarily guess that it was Justin Robinson. You are right, Sam. Good job. It was Justin Robinson who had an outrageous, his box plus minus was 14.7, which is a huge number. 
I mean, that, uh, Jamin Brakefield, by the way, this year is an 11.7. That's what leads the team. It is very rare for someone to get above a 10 in box plus minus. I mean, you're talking about a guy having like, a, you know, a career season if you get above a 10 in box plus minus. Zion Williamson had an 18.7, which is a monster. That's like a crazy. That's exactly. Zion Williamson was good. Yes. I don't think I don't think that's high enough. I don't think it's high enough for what he had. What he did. <laughs> there are only two other guys who had higher than a ten box plus guys who you know played at all significant number of minutes. I, I mentioned Justin Robinson. I'm not really including Justin in this because he kind of did it over just a couple games at the very end of the season. I'm talking about guys who who played in a significant number of games in the past decade. Uh, Zion had an 18.7. Kyrie had a 13.9. That's a big big number. Kyrie wait, wait, was, wait, wait, wait. You included Kyrie, but you didn't include Justin Robinson. They probably played the same amount of games. Yeah, yeah you may oh. be right about that. Uh, you may be right. I should probably – Justin's impressive. It's very impressive. And then the other guy who had above a 10 was, was um, Wendell Carter. Wendell Carter had a 10.4, a, a, you know, a couple seasons ago. So, uh, anyway, I just I, – I was just digging in on the numbers. I started taking a couple notes. By the way, you think Zion's number's absurd? 18.7, which is – just a crazy number. Luca Garza this season, Iowa's Luca Garza this season has a 20.9. So far, Luca Garza is having a better season than Zion Williamson. Look, like like Zion, I don't think that's high enough either because that, <laughs> that man is amazing. He's <laughs> different. He, yes, different. That is a great way to describe it. He is having if, – folks, if you have not had a chance to watch Iowa and Luca Garza play, take a moment and watch it. It is, it is special. It is really special. All right, Donald. Tell us about the NBA, which is coming back here very soon. Yeah, well, the first preseason games were on Friday night, uh, my Pistons, featuring Marshall, or not Marshall, Mason Plumley and Jaleel Okafor. Uh, they took on the Knicks, who had R.J. Barrett. Uh, the Knicks beat us, so I'm just going to tell you that the Pistons might be, uh, you know, they're on the upward trend this year, but it's, it's, we're starting all the way down to the bottom here. Wait, wait, are you, are you paying that's like talking who? about the, that's like talking about the economy growing in the third quarter after right, it was, right. after it was nothing in the second yeah. quarter. We wait, also wait, have wait, like, wait, 19. wait, wait, you're talking about who won an exhibition game. No one cares. No Donald one's trying. This. Look, Donald, look, Donald look. likes this stuff. Because here's the thing. My team has not played since March 9th. So yeah, I do care. Like, I mean, it's the pre, we didn't even write this into the schedule as preseason. We just wrote it in as game because they're like, yo, this is the first game since March. But anyway, I digress. The one thing I did want to know about this fact and the fact that the NBA is coming back, you know, it seems like yesterday that, you know, the Lakers were being crowned champions and now they're coming back is the subtle differences in how they are structuring their return in COVID than college basketball is doing. If you it's notice subtle, it's a huge, there's no bubble. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I'm saying in relation to college basketball, I'll explain oh, okay. what I mean. I'll explain what I mean. Gotcha. So if you're looking at the game in Cameron, right, you know, any game that we've had so far on TV, you've seen how spaced out the, uh, the benches are, how much plexiglass is around, uh, how they've spaced out. They even have a video on Duke Blue Planet about what they did to kind of engineer this and how it was engineered to make it as safe as possible and as socially distant as possible. You even have guys coming all the way around onto the baseline that are still on the bench. In basketball, in the NBA, they're not doing that. They're doing just two rows. And the two rows are very tight together. And there's a reason for that because they're trying to test how they can still remain socially distant 
while also being able to one day let fans into the stands very soon. And I think that is coming very soon for a lot of markets in the NBA. Utah, for example, they're going the whole season with fans in the stands, starting with 1,500 per game, and then they hope to increase from there. So the interesting thing is it's the NBA who, you know, with the bubble was very, very sound and structurally, you know, about how that bubble was great and how it formed and, and made sure that nobody was – Inside that was, you know, there was no issues with the bubble the entire time. The fact that they're returning to arenas and they're doing this is interesting to me because one, you would think that they would, you know, still try to not necessarily have the bubble, but at least have the socially distanced space that college basketball is doing. But also, I think what's leading to this is the fact that they have been one of the leagues that have been in the forefront with, uh, with, with testing. And by testing, I mean rapid testing. They've been investing over 100, you know, $150 million into rapid testing so that one day, very soon, fans will be able to take a rapid test, get their results in 15 to 30 minutes, and then be able to enter an arena to watch their team play. I think it's interesting how they're doing it, but keep an eye on the NBA as this progresses over the first couple weeks of the season because I do think that how they're doing it is interesting, something that some colleges should look into with regards to uh, those that are letting fans in the stands, which to me is still kind of crazy as someone who goes to a lot of games. But I will say that the NBA is approaching this very carefully and it's interesting to watch how this develops over the next couple of weeks. And we'll certainly keep an eye on how the NBA is progressing, especially relative to college basketball as they kick off the season. It's really interesting to me that they're coming back this quickly because as you noted, Donald, some teams finish their season about a month and a half ago, two months ago, and some teams haven't played in nine months. So there's going to be a huge range of what we expect from different players, depending on what their situations were this year. Expect a lot of rust. Like that's the thing is, you know, you thought college basketball was rusty. Again, there are some guys like short, save a eight day mini camp that they had in September have played no basketball in nine months. These guys, I mean, the Pistons Knicks game, I don't care which team you root for that game was ugly the other night and is only going to be that way for the first couple of weeks of the season as these guys kind of get into a rhythm. So we'll wrap this episode with a quick parting shot that is, is actually pretty sad and terrifying. Um, so sorry that we're leaving it on a bad note, but we did want to acknowledge the, what happened in the Florida, Florida state basketball game the other night. Normally, I guess we would be interested in seeing how Florida state performed because they're a, a key ACC rival for Duke and they're off to a pretty good start to the season, but that was overwhelmed uh, the other night by what happened on the court uh, late in the first half. I believe Florida player Keontae Johnson went down uh, on the way to a timeout. Uh, he sort of just collapsed on the floor and it was kind of a, a scary scene. He was, he was taken off. They continued playing the game, um, but he was taken to a hospital and, and, and was as far as we know now uh, is in stable condition and is still being uh, monitored for uh, a heart condition uh, potentially. So uh, it, it is something that may be related to coronavirus. We don't know more than that, but it was a, it was a pretty scary moment. So we just wanted to acknowledge Keontae Johnson and, and wish him the best and, and hope that everything's okay there. It may have some, some unintended ripple effects on the rest of college basketball if it turns out that this was COVID related. So this is another thing that I think college basketball fans should keep an eye on. It was scary 
I don't care what I don't care what pandemic we're in or if we're not one that was a scary moment um, for someone as someone who has a heart condition I know exactly what that fall was and uh, I've never done that before but that fall was indicative of someone whose heart had stopped that straight up that is a very scary scene I'm glad that he is you know right now stable and doing better I hope uh, that he continues to be in the men. I, I'm not worried about him uh, in, in his basketball. I'm just worried about him getting out of the hospital uh, as safe as possible. So uh, best wishes to Deontay Johnson on that. It is worth noting that he had COVID over the summer. This is someone who contracted it, you know, got better and, and felt like they were out of the woods. Uh, we have no way of knowing. None of us have any idea if this is connected to COVID, but there have been a number of cases of COVID causing heart problems in people who didn't otherwise have heart problems. And that's why so many people are, are afraid that this could be connected to that disease. And it's, it's yet another reason, we've said it a million times in the show, mask up, be careful, socially distance if you can, do all the smart things, pay attention to the kind of things that Duke is doing in terms of testing and in terms of of just being careful, as careful as you possibly can, because you just don't know what this is going to do to you. There are all these people out there who think, oh, it, it doesn't kill that many people. But, but there are other problems that you can have as a result of this, this terrible, terrible pandemic. And I really hope that it's not connected to COVID. I, I hope that it's something they identify and they're able to fix, and this kid is able to go on to have a very successful NBA career. But I'll say something, if it is connected to COVID, you may see program shutting down. You're gonna, there's going to be a whole conversation about what to do about college basketball if one of the stars of the sport, and make no mistake, preseason SEC player of the year, this is one of the stars of the sport. If one of the stars of the sport, if his life is in danger because of COVID, there's a whole different conversation that's going to be had about college basketball going forward. So I said that we'll end on a somber note. I will actually finish with a note that we personally are feeling good this week because the Duke Basketball Report podcast Gmail account has gotten more traffic this week than it's gotten in its history. So keep sending those notes to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Hopefully we get to them and read them, respond, and, and talk about them a little bit on the show. And, and Sam, we, sh we should note that virtually every one of those emails, or most of them, have been about our conversations about coronavirus and the way Duke is handling it. And it's people who are chiming in to say they appreciate us taking the time to talk about it and they really appreciate Duke being smart about the way they're handling it. So we'll keep doing that because apparently that's what the people want. But uh, until then, we will be back sometime later this week to talk about the result of the Duke Notre Dame game. This though has been episode 260 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine. I am Sam Klein. We will talk to you again soon. Duke Band, take us home.